0: All right, good to see you today, welcome. You know, it's, uh, it's always great when Kim's with us. I was trying to remember if this is her sixth, or yeah, maybe sixth concert, concert here. So it's, it's really been a, a cool time, and she did the forward to uh, one of Tammy's books, so she's a great friend of the house, and we love her. Hey, uh, it's just good to be with you. It's Labor Day weekend, and either you love Jesus with all your heart, or nobody invited you to the river right? But we're glad you're here. For whatever reason, we're just rejoicing in that. You know, this week, uh, a friend of mine sent me a manuscript of his book, and he asked me if I would do an endorsement in it. And I began to read it. I read through, uh, first of all, um, the foreword to it that was done by uh, Matthew Barnett of the Dream Center. And I read it, and I thought, this is really, really good. I'm going to use this. So I'm using a little piece of uh, Matthew's uh, uh, foreword to introduce this subject today. The Kingdom Discipleship Series that we're in, and he referenced, uh, Pastor Nate referenced the book. It's actually a book that uh, I put together. What are the 10 most essential things you need to know in order to thrive as a Christian? And so you'll you'll start out with salvation. Uh, We'll talk about the Lord's Supper, baptism, the Holy Spirit. Uh, Talk about the local church, the Word of God. All those critical things. What i found in my experience is that a lot of people, have knowledge in some of those areas, uh, and in some of them, they really don't have much knowledge. But you can't really thrive unless you get a good foundation in all 10 of those areas. And they're just introductory, so there's they're something you build on, and then you move from there. So today, we're in chapter seven of that workbook, and it's on money and possessions. Now, what I want to do is I want to read this because I think it's so good and so applicable to what we're talking about here. And again, this is the uh, foreword that was done by Matthew Barnett. He says, the marketplace today can change the world for God. Now, if you're out here in the world working, you're the marketplace. I'm seeing a new generation of men and women uh, emerging everywhere. They are need hunters who spend their lives looking for ways to be generous and looking for opportunities to give until it hurts. They completely reject the premise that having more is the measure of greatness. Instead, they understand that greatness is leaving behind many bridges that connect people to a better tomorrow. Um, He understands that the poorest man in the world is not the person without a penny, but the person without a mission. The power to change the world is often in the hands of those with money and corporations. However, the power to change hearts of people in the hands of a group of men and women who understand that prosperity must have an object of love on the other side. Isn't that good? I just love that. And it's just, it kind of puts it down where we really live. So let's just suppose I brought out the stool today, not because I needed to rest, but I thought, I'm just going to do a little fireside chat part of this message today. Is that cool? Cool. That good? You get to set, I get to set. That's the deal. Okay, so let's suppose I've had this conversation more times than I could count with men who said, Hey, can I talk to you about the subject of money and possessions? Now they may not use those two phrases, but that's essentially what it comes down to. Now, my wife has probably had equal as many uh, conversations with, with women on this same subject. So usually it comes like this: the question comes: Should I give? When we're talking about money and possession, should I give? And the reason it comes up is, what's the motivation? Why do I do that? What's in it? And I I just want to kind of take us back to God, not simply because God tells us about giving, but because God is the ultimate giver, is he not? And so you, created in his image, and the more you're like him, the more generous you become, because there's no one more generous than someone who would give his only son for you. Just put that in perspective. And so it comes very natural to be generous in our giving. And we always, it just kind of changes the way we feel, doesn't it, when we give? Um, You've never felt good about withholding. Have you ever just like, your, your child came to you if you have children and said to you, you know, mom or dad, I'd really like to have this. And you knew it was a reasonable request. You knew you could afford it. But you said, no, you have enough. I don't care. I'm done with you. Did you ever walk away going, now, we've all said that, by the way, and it feels kind of good, but if, when you think about it, if it was a reasonable request and you could have met that need, it kind of felt weird, didn't it? It felt like, why did I do that? You know, what's one more toy? They only have a million. I mean, you know, but in your mind, you, you, you just want to release things to people. How about you walk by a homeless guy, you think he's homeless, and he's asking for donations, he's asking for a little bit of money, but your mind immediately goes to, I'll bet he's not homeless at all. i bet he's got a new Jaguar right around the corner. He's not paying tax. He's got a 30% bump over me already. And your mind is going through this, this stuff, right? And you walked away and you felt so good because you withheld a dollar. Did you ever feel good? Did you ever go, you know, I am, man, I put. I told him I held on to my dollar. You never feel good. You always feel better if you go, you know, I gave the guy a dollar. I don't know what he's going to do with it. He probably doesn't need it. But you felt good about it because you released. And there's something in us that just wants to release and wants to give back in life. And it's that way. I mean, think about what Christmas does to us in the giving spirit, right? I mean, we give all kinds of gifts and re-gift all kinds of gifts to people all the time. Amen? And it, it just kind of feels good to do that to see the joy on their face, and, and to know the excitement that comes from just releasing. So then the question comes, what, how much should I give? And we're going to talk now in the context of the local church. And by the way, it's really interesting because Jesus said more about man and his money than he ever did about heaven. You know why? Because the thing that keeps us from really experiencing the fullness of God in our life many times is the lack of generosity. Because our heart is so powerful that that it holds back things that shouldn't be held back. So how much should I give? Well, in the Bible, the Bible talks about something called a tithe. And a tithe, that word literally means a tenth. In fact, the very word dime that we have is from a Latin word that means one-tenth. That's why it's a dime or ten cents. So the tithe, God says, doesn't belong to you or me. It belongs to God. So we really don't give a tithe. We bring a tithe to God it's his. And then anything above 10%, so once you hit, let's say, 10.1%, that 0.1% in the Bible is called an offering. Okay? So when you say, well, hey, I gave an offering, unless you met the, the minimum of the tithe, you didn't give an offering, you gave part of your tithe. So, the reason this is so important is because it works for everybody. Every economic scale it works for, this was God's plan. And some people say, well, you know, isn't that in the Old Testament? It is, and it's also in the New Testament. But you remember that, and well, we're not under the law, but remember the tithe, the giving of the tithe preceded the giving of the law. So, Moses came and he, he brought the law. But Abraham, way before him, brought the tithe unto the Lord. And so, the tithe is honorable. And then in the New Testament, remember that God doesn't ever require less. He always requires more. So, for example, it says in the Bible that Jesus said this. He said, uh, in the old you've, you've read that, it, that if you, uh, you shall not murder. But I say to you, if you have hate for your brother, you've committed murder. So what did he do? He didn't take it and make it easier. He made it harder. He said that your heart is so critically important that you have to watch over it, as Proverbs says, with all diligence, because guess what? It's going to take you down the wrong path. Then, how much should I give, and do I give on the gross or the net? You know, I don't know how many guys have asked me this, because they're, they're looking at their net, they're looking at their gross. Those are two big different numbers, right, guys? Are, are you all with me on this one? Those are two different numbers. So, I'm going to just read a scripture and you help me to understand what this means to you. It says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and the first fruits with all of your increase. So, the first fruit means the first thing I take out, that's the first fruit. And he says, Honor God with the first fruits. And why would I do that? And Proverbs answers the question. This is Proverbs 3 9 and 10. So, your barns will be filled with plenty. So, if my barn is empty, I have to go back and look, am I generous? Am I giving the way God has called me to give? And your, and your vats will be filled with new wine. So God promises prosperity through our generosity. Now you say, well, you know, I gave 10 bucks last week, and I, and I still don't have any, any return. Okay. Well, let's think about this. Where did you go? Did you, was the $10 an offering? Was it a tithe? What was it? What was, going, what was the motive of your heart? Was your motive to get back? Yeah, and yet, yeah, we always have to do this. This is kind of like heart surgery, right? Spiritual heart surgery, where we examine ourselves and say, "Let me, let me get to the bottom of this." How about where should I give? Where should I give? Well, in the uh, in the Old Testament, it refers to the storehouse, and the Old Testament that was the temple. In the New Testament, that's the church. So this is my like favorite diagram, and you'll see why here in a minute. Um, The average Christian in America gives about three percent of their income, and what that means is that some are giving ten and more, and some are giving zero. Okay, but if I'm gonna, if I'm really gonna take the Bible seriously, if I believe the Bible says that Jesus rose from the dead and um, and died for my sins, why would I not believe what He says about this other stuff? You see, why would I say, "Yeah, I know that's true," but I. You know, I'm getting to heaven, so that's good. I'm good. I'm cool. All right, but but here's here's what happens. We take this. This is going to represent our tithe right here, 10%. And here's how most people operate. They say, you know what? I'm going to give the church about 2%. I'm going to give my brother-in-law 5% because he won't work. And my wife is all over me on this. And I'm going to give 1% over here to the homeless. And you can just kind of fill in the numbers and kind of, imagine what might happen here. So what they do in their mind, what we do in our mind is we justify, look how much I give. But remember, the promise of the blessings, Malachi 3, is based on the tithe going to the storehouse. Anything above that is an offering. So um, I'm, I really feel blessed because when I first came to faith in Christ, the, uh, the person that discipled me talked, talked to me about the tithe and what does that mean? And, and as she began to tell me about this, I thought, well, it made sense to me, right? Because, and I wasn't, I was a college student, so I wasn't making a lot of money, so it wasn't, we weren't talking a lot of money. I I didn't even, everything was gross in my income. There was no net, you know what I mean? It was just like, that's all I get, right? But, but so learning how to take a 10th, a 10th out of every dollar my whole life. So from the day I was saved until today, there's never been a dollar that I've earned that I've not given at least 10% out of that dollar. And it was because I learned early. And I began to practice, and I began to see how God would work. And my wife and I were talking this morning. I said, you know, we should probably write a book on this subject because we have so many examples throughout a lifetime of what, how God comes through in, in some amazing ways. And one of the things that's just been so impressive to me over the years is the men and women of the faith who went out there, and they worked all day long. And then they came to church, and they gave countless hours of service, and they gave of their finances because they believed in the mandate that we had to reach the world for Jesus Christ. And I can't even begin to tell you how much that means to me. And so some people say, "Well, I, I only had thirty dollars to give." I want to. I want. Let me put that into context and in how I think about it. Thirty dollars, if it's a tithe, represents three hundred dollars of your hard-earned money. That thirty dollars is so significant. It's never to be called only thirty dollars. It is the Lord's tie that's honorable before Him. And remember when Jesus said about, about giving, He says, When you give here on earth, guess what you do? You lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It's really kind of an interesting thing that our giving is from earth to heaven, and we try to bring heaven down to earth, right? You see how this works? So when I give, I lay up for myself in treasure in heaven. So let's go back to that $30. So that $30 I offer to the Lord, God counts that as laying up for myself treasure in heaven. What does God do with the 30? He multiplies it. He multiplies in heaven what you've given because that's how the kingdom works. And then he brings heaven to earth and he multiplies it down here on earth. So I had this great testimony that one of the guys in our church here, he, he, he talked about, it. he said, every Sunday when I come, whatever cash I have, I just throw in the offering plate, right? I don't even worry about it. And then walking out, he got blessed with an amazing increase. Does it always work that way? No. No, it doesn't. But when it does, it feels pretty good, right? You go, wow, this is amazing how this works. I can't tell you how many times that we sow and we reap and we go, this is amazing. I can't believe how good God is and how God works in such a way. If you don't ever jump into this game of, of just trusting God, and I call it a game. It's really not a game. But if you don't trust in, jump into this activity of believing and walking with God, this lifestyle, you never get to really experience the fullness. And so you'll go, yeah, I don't really buy that. Because you're a skeptic because of unbelief. That is unbelief. You see, you believe, what you believe in, you put your time, effort, and money in. Am I right? right? So obviously, I don't believe in fitness because I'm not going to the gym. But you see, so you think about it like that. What I believe in and what I put my time in, what I put my money in, that's where my belief system really is. That's really what it comes back down to. Um, and then people ask me this one. Well, should what about like um, an inheritance or an income tax return and the sale of a, of a business, all those kind of things? I make my life really simple it says that I give back the first fruits of all my increase. That's an increase to me. So I get my, if I get a refund on my income tax, I just give 10% of it. We sold a house, you know, um, and we gave 10% back on, on the profit that we had off of that. And, and we, had, we both had an inheritance. We both lost our parents, and both our parents. And so we had, and both had an inheritance. We, gave, we tied back on that because we just believe that that's, it's simple. It's easy. And guess what? Why am I trying to see how much, how little I can give God when he didn't do that for me? He saw, how, mu- how much can I give you? I'm going to give you my son. I'm going to give you my son. Well, let me take you to the diagram. This is one of the diagrams in the discipleship book, and I, I think it'll illustrate a point really well here. When we start out, these are the seven stages of discipleship that Jesus took his followers through. And the first one you'll notice there's repentance and faith. So what he did was he began this call and he said, I want you to repent. Come and follow me. And some occasion he would give a little bit more detail like you'll be fishers of men or you're going to experience the kingdom. But repentance and faith is step one. Then we go to enlightenment. So once there's that call, we come to this realization in this journey of life, who is Jesus? And you realize this is not just a rabbi. This is not just a teacher. This is the son of the living God. When Peter said that, Jesus said back to him, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father which is in heaven. So the revelation of who Jesus really is comes from the Father who is in heaven by the Spirit of God. Now notice we get to the next one, participation in ministry. So once the disciples had been with him a little while, now what does he do? He begins to, to get them involved in doing ministry. And there's a key that works in the kingdom. That is, we belong and then we believe. When I feel loved and accepted, when I feel like I'm a part of that community, it's easier for me to believe. What Jesus did was he pulled his disciples and, hey, come follow me, guys. Well, you're a rabbi. We'd love to follow a rabbi. So they went and they followed the rabbi. And over time, guess what? They began to understand the meaning of the kingdom of God. So he's this guy loves us. Why wouldn't we want to follow him? This guy loves us. Let's listen to what he has to say. And the same thing's true. They began to participate in ministry. He said, okay, guys, this happens in Matthew 10. He said, now I want you to go out. He calls them apostles. He said, I want you to go out and you're going to, you're going to make a dent in the kingdom of darkness you're going to make a dent in the kingdom. But they come back, they're rejoicing. They're going, you're not going to believe it. We saw, man, we saw people released from, from demonic forces and Jesus, he's smiling. He goes, yeah, I saw Satan fall from, from heaven. But let me tell you something. Rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. He always went back to the foundation piece. That's what it was all about. But now step four, and this is where it comes in giving. You really can't hit this development of leaders, level four, until you understand generosity and stewardship of what God's given you. Because now all of a sudden you go like, if I'm going to go to the next level, I've got to believe that all of the Bible is true and not just the parts I want to be true. I gotta buy into this thing. I gotta, I gotta sell myself into this. And so now I go to the next level and I consecrate and I evaluate, reevaluate myself and I, and I begin to think about how do I separate myself out from the thinking of this world and my own thinking so that I can think the thoughts of God how would God approach this situation? How would God approach money? How would God approach love and friendship and work and all those things? And I begin to go on that, and then I get responsibility. Then all of a sudden, God's handing me responsibility. I go, I didn't even ask for this. No, God gave it to you because you'd proved yourself faithful. And then world vision, you begin to say, what I'm doing here, I could do anywhere. I could do everywhere around the world. This is amazing, and your eyes just get bigger to what God is up to. Now, what I want to do is I'm going to take you through some real-life stories in the Bible, and, and these are, I've never really spoke on these outside of the context of the seasonal times of year that we typically look at, which would be Easter for most of these. But I want you to just kind of, they're refreshing, because we're going to talk about Joseph of Arimathea and what he did to, to, to carry and minister to Jesus. So here's the first thing point I want you to really grab, is that every one of us need to take responsibility for the body of Christ. This is not my job, or your job, or your job. It's all of our job to take responsibility for the body of Christ. So let's look at the story, then I'll explain what I mean by that. Matthew 27, verse 57, as evening approached, now this is Jesus has been been crucified, came a rich man from Arimathea, So the Bible calls him rich. We don't know how rich he was, but the Bible took the time to say this was a rich man whose name was Joseph who had become a disciple of Jesus. So he didn't let his riches keep him from Jesus, and now what does he do? He goes to Pilate. Pilate, the governor, has got all this authority and all this power. He could tell everybody no, but Joseph was so well-connected I'm gonna think either politically or financially or socially that he could go walk into the governor's office and he could make a request like this, I want the body of Jesus. And Pilate ordered it to be so. Yes, you can have the body of Jesus. Now imagine that kind of clout walking in to the governor's office, I'm gonna assume maybe even unannounced. He asked for the body of Jesus. Je- Pilate ordered that it be given to him. He said, I'm going to make this an order, a declaration. This is going to be fixed in law. No one will argue with you. Don't you worry. You have the power of Pilate, the governor. So he was a man of clout. He was a man of wealth. And it says that Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own tomb that he had cut out of a rock. Now, this wasn't your average kind of a tomb. This was a solid piece of rock that you hired people to go in and chisel out and make it into a tomb. And then they would take a stone, a large stone, and they would put it in such a way that it could be rolled over the entrance so that no one would go in. This large stone would weigh, they estimate, between four and 6,000 pounds alone. So in this tomb that he had, he had reserved for his own family. He reserved it for Jesus, they estimate, knowing we know the cost of things like this in the first century by reading the, 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 the stories from history, and we know that if we put it in today's dollars, it's somewhere between one hundred and $200,000 for this tomb alone. Now, little did Joseph know that Jesus was only going to be a renter. Amen? He was going to rise from the dead. He wasn't going to stay there, so he actually, he got blessed by getting it back. Now, Imagine this a guy with clout walks in, says, I'd like to give $200,000, my $200,000 tomb for Jesus. That's pretty good, right? I mean, that's a pretty big step. But did you know that Joseph had a good friend named Nicodemus? Remember Nicodemus? He came to Jesus by night. That's why we call him Nick at night. He comes to Jesus by night. I know, bad preacher joke. So, anyway, um, it's like a dad joke. They're all bad. But, anyway, he comes to it and look what it says. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, this is John 19, who first came to Jesus by night also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloe about 100 pounds. Now stop right there. We don't really put in perspective this idea of what's going on here because we think about aloe, you know, something we get after here in California after a sunburn, right? But think about myrrh because when Jesus was born, remember what they brought him? Gold frankincense and myrrh. Do you realize that myrrh in most cases was more valuable in terms of its trading and its cost than gold in that century? It was extremely valuable. So those three things alone were of great wealth. They estimate that what it would take for 100 pounds of this of this pure spike nerd in that day would be somewhere around $20,000. So now this this burial is already costing about anywhere between one hundred and $220,000, just to this point right here. Think about what's happening here. So here's Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, both wealthy individuals, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus, bound it in strips of linen with spices. Now, I want you to picture this. These are two well-connected Financially successful men, known in the community, and they take the bloody body of Jesus, mangled beyond recognition, Scripture says, and they take those linen cloths and they begin to wrap his broken body. They don't hire somebody to do it. They do it. Because they had the responsibility to carry for the body of Jesus. You see, it's our responsibility, every one of us in this room, to care for the body of Jesus. And the body of Jesus is this body here. It's one another. We have that responsibility. And just like they carried that body and they lifted that body up and they wrapped that body, so we have to lift up and wrap and care for the body of Jesus Christ. Amen? You see, something we learn about generosity is this, that generosity is motivated by love. People aren't generous unless they have a love somewhere in their heart for that. Some people will give great sums of money to to save some endangered species, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. That's your love. But that doesn't take away from your obedience to the Father. So motivation of love, you say, well, I want to grow in my love. As I grow in love for God, guess what? I grow in generosity. I want to give more unto God. I want to serve God in greater ways. But also, isn't generosity attractive? Don't you love to be around generous people? You just get around generous people, and you go like, I just love being around generous people. They're just giving all the time, giving, 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 giving. And some people are so generous, they make you feel bad, and you start getting generous. Amen? You ever gone out to to lunch with someone, and they bought your lunch? You go, this is good. I like this. I like going out to lunch with this guy. You go out another time, and he buys your lunch again. You go, I love going out. We should go to lunch every day right? But doesn't there come a point in your life where you go, you feel guilty for him buying or, or her buying your lunch again? Why? Because you're not made to be on the receiving end only. You're meant to also be on the giving side of things. And so you want to give back. And that person may be a person of wealth and you may not, but, but and you say, well, they can afford it and I can't, but you still have that same heart. And you go, well, can I at least get the tip? Right? Because there's something in us that wants to do that. It's attractive. It also, I believe that that this idea of, of generosity is learned by practice. I don't think people are just wake up generous. I think they, they were around people that were generous, maybe parents or friends, and they got generous. Maybe they came into a church, they saw people that were generous, and they said they got generous. They learned how to do it. And once you learn how to be generous, it's just fun. It's just really, really fun. Um. We got, a, we got a check in the mail this week from a vendor who we paid to do some service in our, in our building. And I'm thinking, why are we getting a check? We paid the bill, and they're getting us a check. This is a donation back for the work we did. Thank you very much. I'm going, you just gave the whole money back. I like those kind of vendors. <laughs> Amen? But now, but now think about that right there for a moment. Who got blessed more? They did. Because guess what? What happens when I, when I give with a heart, a pure heart, it's multiplied in heaven. So that amount of money didn't it wasn't just static. It multiplied into a greater amount of money. But then there's also that daily feeling of I did something good. I like, I like myself when I do something good. I like myself when I'm generous. I don't like myself when I'm stingy, right? And so generosity is something we learn. But also, think about this. Generosity, and this is another story in the Bible that's just really interesting. When I put all these together, I've never preached on these subjects on on these individuals like this. So it was just enlightening to me. But generosity releases the anointing. I don't believe that you can really ever experience the fullness of God and be selfish. I just don't. I believe there has to be something in me that just says, I want to be a generous person. Let me show you this, Uh, John chapter 12 and verse 3. Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. We know what that costs, whether she got this by an inheritance, whether she got this handed down as a family, uh, heirloom, so to speak. It was her future. It was, in today's dollars, about $20,000 as well. So she takes $20,000. She doesn't sell it, right? She doesn't sell it and keep the money and and give a little bit. She breaks this open. She pours this out on his feet. And I'm looking and go, why the feet? Because the feet aren't the prettiest thing, right? I mean, some of you think you have pretty feet. You don't. They're feet, right? Now, my wife has pretty feet, but that's the only one in the room, okay? But why is it? Well, on the feet, it's the lowest part of the body. It's the, it's the part that encounters all the dirt and the trouble of, of society. It, it, you know, there's just nothing about it. And then she takes her long hair and she wipes his feet to get the excess off with her hair. Now, to put that in context, think about it, ladies, how careful you are about fixing your hair just right. This is not a just right moment for your hairstyle. Now your hair is all gunked up with oil. You're down on this dirt floor. These weren't like tiled floors. These were dirt floors. You're down with oil and dirt on the floor in your hair. It's all gunked up with dirt. And you know why? You know what's happening here is because that generosity doesn't care about how they look. Humility always precedes generosity. She humbled herself there. And what happened was that the anointing, you see, generosity brings humility. Look what it says. Anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Wow. The anointing comes with the sacrifice. See, the sacrifice was it was very costly. It cost her a lot. But when you give up something, when you sacrifice something, God always brings back more, doesn't he? God sacrificed his only son on Calvary. Look at what came forth from that. You, you and you and every person who's named the name of Jesus, they came forth from that sacrifice. It was very costly, but was it worth it? I say yes as a recipient of of the salvation, the love of God. But also generosity fills the house. It says the house was filled with the fragrance. You know, when you get in a a room full of generous people, you just want to be generous. Right? I mean, I can't tell you how many fundraisers I've been to where I got caught up in the moment. Next thing I know, I'm raising my hand. My wife's looking at me, like, what are you doing? I don't know. I just feel so good. I just want to give something. (laughs) Hey, right? Am I right? You just, there you go. Yeah, let's jump in there. I remember bidding on something I didn't want. We were at some auction. Yeah. She said, you don't even like to hike. It was some hike. I go, yeah, you're right. I got to get out of this thing quick. You know, then you're afraid you're going to get stuck with it. But what is it? There's something about generosity. When you get in the midst of other people, you just go, I want to be generous too. Hey, guess what? You hang around selfish people, you know, you'll become selfish. You'll find something wrong with everything. You'll find a million reasons why you can't give money, spend money, help someone out, because it's contagious. It is very contagious. You see, generosity is a contagious thing. Let me take you to another scripture. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village preaching the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? Here's Jesus, 12 disciples, you're kind of part of that crowd that's following after Jesus. And, and, and if you're a disciple, you're going, they're going, Jesus over here, and he's healing somebody, and everybody's going like, this is amazing, this is amazing. And if you're one of the 12, you're going, I'm with the most amazing guy on earth right now. Right? It's okay. And then there's a crowd following, you know, and they're going, oh, man, I wish we could be a disciple. And, and because you're seeing this, you're caught up in this whole thing, and that's the scene. I want you to get the scene. And the 12 were with him. So I, I imagine this. Here's Jesus, and then there's the 12 guys are walking behind him. They're just like following Jesus. You know, this is an amazing, amazing moment. But then all of a sudden, the scene changes. And you look and you go, wait a minute. Who are all those women following behind the 12? And the Bible says this. Look at it. And certain women who had been healed of Ill, evil spirits and infirmities. Now all of a sudden, these women were recognized as women who had been demon-possessed in some of those towns they went. They recognize some of these women who had infirmities. Maybe they couldn't walk. Maybe they couldn't speak. Maybe they couldn't hear. Maybe they couldn't see. But they're following there too. Why are they there? Because they're just grateful that they were touched by the power of God. And they're following. And maybe there were dozens of others back there as well that were following. I, I don't know. The Bible doesn't go into to say because the Bible's trying to make a point here. Look at the point the Bible's trying to make. It says, it says and Mary called Magdalene out of whom had come seven demons. Let me ask you something. If you were possessed by seven demons, somebody set you free, would you be happy? Think about it. Guess what? You were. You were lost and going to hell, and Jesus rescued you from the pit. Amen? He lifted you up out of the miry clay. He put your feet on a solid rock, and he didn't call you a servant. He called you his friend. He called you a son and daughter of the living God. That's what he did for you. And that's what happened to Mary Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others. Now, look at this. Others that he doesn't take the time to give their name, but he says many others, look what they did, who provided for him from their substances. Do you know who paid for the ministry of Jesus? It was these women. Ladies, thank you very much. You, you fueled the kingdom of God with your resources. And I looked at that and I thought, isn't it amazing how God works? And unless you slow down and take a look at some of these scriptures, you don't really get the impact of it, do you? Because you always wonder, how did Jesus, you know, he says, you know, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You know, you know, will you follow me too? And you think, how did this whole, this thing, this operation can't run on nothing. This Jesus, you know, calling for three years, what do we do here? And then Mary steps up. She said, you know, I'm a, I come from a family of wealth. And my wealth led me into sin and into demon possession. Seven demons inhabited this body. And Jesus called them out in one moment. My wealth is not for me. It's for Jesus. We don't know what happened with these others, Joanna and some of the others. But I I imagine the same story was there. And for three years, it was their pleasure to fuel the ministry of Jesus because guess what? They had responsibility and they had gratitude as well. You see, joy precedes generosity. When people people give reluctantly, they don't get anything out of it. It says that he came and he gave glad tidings, and then you see this unfolding of generosity. And and so that's why the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. I have never regretted one penny I've given, ever, ever. And I'm telling you, I've given money to things. I go, that thing went south. But guess what? I didn't give it to that thing, I gave it to God. I gave it with the best information I had at the moment that I had to be generous to God and God just, God took it and he multiplied it. I've never given to a homeless guy regretted, even though I thought half of them weren't. I didn't regret it because I love the way I feel when I give. I was made to give. I was designed by God to give, to release, not to hold on to. You see, changed lives bring generosity. When you when you stop long enough to think about your life has been transformed and changed by the power of God, can you really, really, really step back and not be generous? Part of your generosity is telling others about what you, what happened. That's generosity, isn't it? Hey, let me tell you what happened to me. A lot of people are hesitant to kind of share their story of salvation because they don't think they have the answers. It's not a problem to not have the answers. It's a problem to never open your mouth. When somebody says, well, you say, I'm a, are you a Christian? Yeah, I am. Well, you know, how's that working for you? It was working great for me. Well, and then they start asking you a Bible question. You just, let me tell you what you do. Go, I don't know, but I know one thing. He pulled me out of hell, and for that, I'm grateful. That's the only story I got. Only Bible verse I got is I got saved. You know, next time you, you have an encounter like that, you might get another verse. But at that point, just tell them the truth. I got saved. God loves me. God saved me. You see, it takes everyone... To carry the body of Christ. You know, I've had people say, "You know, look, I don't need to give because there's there's wealthy people at that church." Is that really what you think this is about? It's about your heart. Your heart is in such a bad place. If that's your if that's your attitude, you can't experience God in His fullness. It's impossible. You just can't do it. It's not even on the map. I wrote this uh, generosity principle. I want you to to repeat it after me, and kind of the way this works, we're gonna put the words up on the screen. I'm gonna say it and you're gonna repeat, and if this works right, everybody's gonna do it. You follow that? If it doesn't work right, it's gonna, you know, like my three friends and two others, you know, so. But I want you to say this because when you speak something, it's a declaration of what you believe. You wake up the morning, you go, you know, I don't feel good, I'm sick, I don't have any friends, nobody likes me and I hate my job. Guess what? That is your day, right? You will find everything that you just proclaimed in your life, I promise you. And you'll find it in multiplied numbers. But if you wake up and go, you know, this is a great day, this is a day of miracles. I don't know what God's gonna do, I can't wait to see Jehovah Sneaky pull something over on me today, amen? Because he loves me, and he's going to bring somebody in my life. He's going to bless me. He's going to bring somebody in my life, encourage me. He's going to bring somebody in my life, my life that I get to help and bless. And, and I'm just, I'm excited about what God's doing. Amen? I'm excited. All right, so let's, let's, uh, let's say that I call this a generosity principle. Um, somebody asked me already in the, in the first service if, uh, if they could have that. I'm just going to go ahead and post it on my Instagram page and that way you've everybody's got it so you don't have to ask me just go to my Insta, Instagram page it's just under my name and you can find it okay so here it is let's are you ready let's let just do a trial run in Jesus name oh that's good okay let's try it now some of you didn't quite get there so let's try it again now we're going to go all the way through you ready in Jesus name I acknowledge God's principle of sowing and reaping My faith is multiplied and enriched through my personal generosity. God has opened the windows of heaven for me to receive a blessing beyond all that I could imagine. I expect, let's say it, I expect This is not like a guess. This is not, I hope I win the lotto. No, I expect God to do what God says. So I expect that God will work miracles in my life. I will bless the work of the kingdom that in all ways I may be a blessing to other people. Amen? If you will repeat something like that or that every day, I promise you, it won't take very many days till your attitude will change about everyone around you, your generosity will increase, and guess what? You'll feel pretty good about yourself. Nothing wrong with that, amen? We need some feel-good things in our life, don't we?